Hey, you know what, guys? This right here, this rambling, boring conversation containing already made before observations, this could be a podcast. Huh, it's actually not a bad idea. Really? A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Hey there, the net. We are the wretched refuse. We're underdogs. We're mutts. We're mutants. There's something wrong with us. Something very, very wrong with us. Something seriously wrong with us. should be recording. Hopefully this will work out better tonight. So tonight, hey everybody. <laughs> it's been such a crazy week for me. My brain is so scattered right now. <laughs> mm. uh, we've got, well, we're, right now we'll just use the name Elizabeth because she has a couple of different names she goes under and I don't, I'm not entirely sure which one she's going to use for the show. But we've got the author of the blog Strange Ago coming on tonight. And as I've said many, many numerous times, if there's one thing that we gravitate towards, it's strange history. And this woman has got one of the most, I don't want to say odd or strangely bizarre blogs, but she does cover a lot of very unique and strange history. Some of the stuff we're going to be hopefully talking about tonight, like one of the articles she has in here is about the janitor and caretaker of the murder castle that, that, that was, you know, H.H. Holmes. Mm -hmm. So she did an article about the guy who was the caretaker of it. You know, everybody talks about H.H. Holmes, but when you think about it, it's like, well, who were the people that took care of this place and how were they involved with it? And she's got a lot of stuff on here about guillotines and decapitated heads. And recently she posted an article on here about uh, the people who would actually go out and find the bodies that go over Niagara Falls. You know, the people that go out and search for whenever these kinds of things happens. Just really odd and macabre stuff um, that is actually very interesting and very strange. So um, we're going to talk to her. Again, it's one of those really off-the-wall, obscure blogs that you would have to come to our show to find because I'm not sure how many people know about this. <laughs> We do find the strangest stuff. We really do. We find the weirdest blogs. It's kind of our thing. So. Yeah. That's that's what I gravitate towards though, you know? Mm. So um yeah, I guess we'll uh I guess anything we gotta say, we'll just do it at the end of the interview like we always do. And uh I don't know, do you got anything to say or anything like that before nah. we jump into this? All right, I didn't figure so. <laughs> so um yeah, we'll just uh jump into the interview and as always we will see everybody at the other side. Whee! So with us this week, we have Elizabeth Yetter, and she runs the blog Strange Ago, which, as we were talking before the show started, is a fantastic blog of very strange and odd, out of the way, just weird history. So uh, welcome to Project Archivist. As we were saying beforehand, one of our favorite things is strange, weird, odd, and crazy history and finding unusual blogs. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Um, how long have you been doing this blog for? I... I think I started it in 2016. Okay. Um, what drew you to these topics? Because you've got a lot of stuff about guillotines on here and just really strange and out of the way history. Um, I'm always fascinated to find out how people got into this stuff. So what's your story and how you got here? 
Well, it started when I was a child. <laughs> uh, my grandmother had a lot of books about the occult and, and weird history, and I grew up reading about it. So I began writing about it, of course, and over the years, I just, uh, well, I, I just, I, I got into it more. And with the internet, I, it opened up the newspaper archives to me, and I was able to finally search the old newspapers and find strange unusual articles that I've never even heard of before on, on topics of executions and dead bodies and the insane asylums. You know, you're getting them direct from the source going through these archives. And I decided that I wanted to, you know, put up a website and share what I find. So that's, you know, how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing really wrong with that. Stuff. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's interesting stuff. Um, it's, yeah. Well, I guess I could start off. I'll get us rolling with, uh, you've got an article on here. You always hear about H.H. Holmes and his murder castle. You always hear about the yes. people that died here, there. You always hear about him. You hear about the circumstances of events. But you have a thing on here about the janitor and caretaker of the murder, ca murder castle. Boy, I can talk tonight. The, the janitor and caretaker. Yes. So let's start with talking about him and the strange things that went around with him. Yeah, Patrick Quinlan. He, uh... <clears throat> was a caretaker in the murder castle. And I found an article from, what was that, 1914 that tells about how the man ended his life after being haunted by the ghosts of the dead and the guilt that he carried around with him for, I guess, about 19 years after the whole H.H. H. Holmes thing came to light. Uh, I just... <sighs> You know, you know, history is full of these fascinating characters that you just never, ever hear about. And and he happened to be one of them. I mean, could you imagine, you know, working in Matter, Murder Castle and uh, knowing, finding out afterwards that there are all these dead people around you? And it, it, it affected him. You know, how do you function after that? How, how do you even find work or find friends? I mean, nobody wants to speak to you. Or look at you. So he claims that he didn't know about it, though. How do you work at the murder castle? And, and you know, you have to. You how do you not know about it? How do you not know that strange disappearances are going on when you've got rooms yeah. that have you know trap doors in them and all this strange stuff? You yeah. know. Yeah, I, I don't know if I exactly believe it. I think at the end he might have realized that he did something really stupid by turning a blind eye to the whole situation. But, you know, he he had to say that he, he would get, you know, executed if he admitted to knowing anything about it. So do you know about how yeah, he went? It's a tough spot to be in. <laughs> do you know about how he went proving his innocence? Because I'm sure oh, I, I didn't know anything about this. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I know that a lot of people were brought into court and a lot of people said that uh, they knew nothing and. I think once once they had A.J. Holmes in, in their hands, they let most people go, you know, that were associated with it. Um, he probably just talked a really good talk because I did not find anything. Well, I didn't really search for anything specifically on his uh, testimony. But, uh, yeah, he must have talked a good talk. <laughs> so he had to have in order to be able to get off on that one. Yes. Well, you know, you find it, you know, in history, they didn't investigate murders like we do today. And a lot of people were just let go or, you know, turned a blind eye towards because what were they going to do with them? You know, 
That's true. It, I mean, you got to figure this. He, he yeah. wandered around that place. I mean, there were he had there were vault rooms, and if he's the caretaker, then he had to you know be privy to information that you know why does this room have doors that lock that can't be opened from the inside, and why is there you know why is there a body shoe? I mean. Well, he might be afraid of Holmes himself. I mean, you know, afraid to say anything, just turn a blind eye and pretend nothing's happening. That that's completely possible. Mm. So, how did he die? Did he hang himself? Was that what he did? I believe that's what they said he did. Um, I'm glancing over my art. I don't remember everything. My goodness. Uh, oh, it's okay. Yeah. I can edit. Don't worry. None of this is live. <laughs> he took poison and ended it. He poisoned Ooh. himself. Yes, it doesn't say what kind of poison he used, but... Uh, Ooh. Yeah, that's like... Yikes. That's the slow, rough way to go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Either that or admit it and go to the gallows, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I, maybe you just wanted to leave behind a pretty corpse. Yeah. Gallows, didn't you have... Poisoning, um, but... You had something yeah, right. here about six people that lived after being hung or something like that, didn't you? Yes, I did. Did that? Quite a few people survived it. I was going to say, is that was that a common thing that happens all the time? I mean, most of the time, if they would survive the first hanging, they would just string them back up and hang them again. Oh my god! <laughs> wow, talk about a bum deal. <laughs> yes. Holy cow. Yeah, I think the one lady hung for about 30, 30 minutes and they brought her down and she was resuscitated and they decided, you know, let's not do this again. So they let her go. She was pardoned afterwards. Oh, wow. That's great. If somebody would survive, it's pretty brutal. If most, most of the time if somebody would survive a hanging, they would just, you know, bring them back up and sometimes they would have to carry them back up. And other times they would put the noose around their neck and just hoist them back up until they were finished choking to death. That's, I think that's why they changed the terminology to be hung till you were dead. Yes. Because, I mean, that's got to be... Well, most Judas of the time, that's not snapped. I mean, in the United States, uh, well, let's say Britain, they had, a, they had a thing down where they, you know, drop your neck would snap and you'd be done for. But mm. in the United States, we didn't have the, the hanging schools like mm. they did. So people would step into this position as hangman and had no clue what they were doing they just thought you could drop somebody off a limb and they would die but it wasn't like that yeah no it didn't it didn't end that way no. that's tough <laughs> not a nice way to go no now, i mean seems far better well considering we're talking about uh in a more macabre um sense can we move over to uh the death helmet Oh my gosh, yeah. That, that is fascinating. <laughs> so it was the late 1800s, and of course, by then, you know, 1898, I think we had old Sparky in New York, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, people were trying to find different ways to execute prisoners that seemed humane. And so France was trying to get rid of the guillotine, which would spurt out blood and, you know, draw these huge crowds of people who would party and celebrate. Uh, so they were they invented this helmet, this metal helmet that went on a, a person's head. And inside it were two probes that would go into their eyes and fry their brains. 
Uh, it was supposed to take the place of the guillotine, but thankfully it never did. And you're giggling. Why are you giggling, Lobo? <laughs> it's just, I mean, it, it's absurd that how we've managed to figure out ways to kill each other. It just you got to wonder who they used to try this out on first. Right? <laughs> yes. It doesn't say, you know, who they experimented on uh, or what. Usually they use dogs, but I don't know. The that, that actually makes my heart hurt more than knowing that they may have tested it on people. Yeah, I know. I know. A lot of the early inventions with uh, killing people by electricity were done on dogs. Yeah, it's just ugh, there's more than enough people roaming around to test this stuff on. Yeah, get rid of a few. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. I think even Edison electrocuted an elephant or something like that at one point, didn't he? Uh, yeah, Topsy. Was his name Topsy? Yeah, because he was trying to uh, this to show that Tesla's um, electricity was not safe or something like that. Yeah, the alternating current. Yeah. So they fried an elephant. I mean, that's how do you how much juice does it take to cook an elephant like that? But um, a lot. So. Well, they used to use elephants for execution. I mean, yeah. they would, Precious. you know, tie people up and lay them on the ground and have them stumped by elephants. So I think that's apropos. Could you describe <laughs> what the death helmet was and how, you know, because the picture here looks like it's just a fishbowl with wires going into it and straps. It was more like a diving helmet that would strap on. It was a, a metal helmet that would strap on over your head and cover uh, down towards your, uh, your chest. And so you couldn't, it was like sensory deprivation almost, except it had two holes where the eyes are and uh, two probes that would go in through there and into your eyes, sort of like a lobotomy. Oh. You know, the the ice pick lobotomies? Sort of like that. Because they wanted to make a pretty corpse. Or Yeah. (laughs) So they put wires onto your eyes? Into your eyes. Right in the corner there. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Because it would go into your brain, and then the juice would, you know, fry up your... Gray matter. <laughs> I guess that's, well, you know, when in Rome, I guess. I don't think the Romans are that cruel. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably, eh, you're, I would say you're absolutely correct in that statement. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, we are rotten. How long did they use this for? And I mean, obviously, it, did they never used it? No, it was a new contraption. Like I said, people were experimenting with how to kill people with electricity. And this was something that they were floating around that they could use to replace the guillotine, except it disappeared. I am assuming that it was found to be too gruesome. So when you electrocute someone in the electric chair, you have to, uh, they usually place something, you know, over their heads because it's not pretty. No, no. And they were saying that this was going to make a nice corpse, that this was nice and clean and efficient and supposedly fast. But the idea of having probes going into my eyes, it's, yeah, no. It says yeah, hard tap. Death hard is tap. instantaneous and painless, and only a simple prick to the, to the angle of each eye shows how the dead man mm-hmm. passed. But to my yeah. knowledge, I believe in the early days of uh, electrocution, they used to have people's eyeballs and stuff pop out of their heads, correct? Or am I yes. wrong? So, yes, absolutely. So here you, you are. you got to realize that they were most likely using a much higher current for that, though. 
you don't need a whole lot of electricity if you're going for prefrontal because you're literally just frying the brain matter. Yeah, but this is the late 1800s, early 1900s. Do you really think that they paid that much attention how much electricity they were putting into these things? I would hope that they did some kind of testing other than on dogs. <laughs> ah. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Yeah. Welcome to our show. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what was the heads thing, Lobo? Oh, the the uh, the next one is the uh, that I that I that caught my eye right away was um, the biting heads, the decapitated yes. heads that bite and then the eyes that move. Yes. Yep. They had a lot of instances. Well, you know, Diebler, who's like my, he, I don't know if I can call him a hero, but a character that I really love from history. He was the uh, Francis uh, headmaster. And uh, he would talk about, you know, heads that would still move after being sliced off. And, you know, with the guillotine, death was pretty instant. You know, well, decapitation was pretty instant but afterwards you would have heads that would bite the grass or uh one head was placed in the casket and it bit its own leg uh yeah it was pretty gruesome they had to to force the jaw back open to bury the man properly uh other ones uh one lady bit the basket after her head was chopped off and wouldn't let go mm-hmm. but that was really Nasty. Uh, and then they had uh, doctors that would experiment with the heads after they had been cut off and would follow eye movement. Or uh, my favorite one is when they once again hooked a, a decapitated head up to a dog mm. and uh, ran the blood from the dog, a, a living dog, into the head. And it, uh, the eyes opened up again and the face became flush. And a look of horror came over the man's head. Can't imagine why. Yeah, I know. Oof. I thought I was dead a second ago. Um, yes. Yeah, so there are so many disturbing accounts from these executions, and they published them in newspapers for everybody to read back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. It's uh, it's almost unbelievable, but it's true. You know. Nobody knows exactly when you die after you've been decapitated or if you even feel anything after decapitations. Even more recent studies show that they don't really have a clue. You know, when does consciousness leave exactly? Right. So if you want to talk about how is it pronounced, Deblair, Deblair a little bit more? I, I always say Deblair, but, you know, I'm so darn German. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so darn German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk about him a little bit more, go right ahead because you've got a lot of extensive writing up on your page about yes, him. Yes, he. Uh, well, he's just he's just a, a short little French guy that uh, got into the business of cutting off heads because his father did it. So he he got the position through family, and uh, I forget how many he executed hundreds of people. Uh, it just. And see, I, I'm doing some research on him because I want to. I want to write a book about him, mm-hmm. uh, but pulling up information off the top of my head's not so, not so good here. <laughs> well, you've got on here that he executed over 500 people. Yes, it was hundreds, and some say over 700. He had uh, 
he had his own guillotines that, that he would travel with. He had traveling guillotines that he would load up on the trains and go from place to place to get rid of criminals. And uh, he wasn't too keen on, on executing women. They uh, apparently cried a lot and created a scene, and, and he just it didn't sit well with them. But the men, he just very efficient. Extremely efficient. He had this whole system where he'd go into the, the, the prison and in the back room, he'd prepare the person to be executed by giving them a shave and cutting their hair so nothing would get caught in the blade and cutting open their shirts. And uh, as soon as they stepped out that door, within seconds, the person was on the board and his head was slid into the guillotine and the, the yoke, I think it's called, was strapped down and his head was off. Uh, he could kill multiple people in a few minutes' time. He had a whole system down. And this was a family thing a, for him. Yes, crap. it was. Now, newspaper reports say that his either his uncle or his grandfather was also head executioner, and then his father was, and then he stepped into the position. So, so geez. It, it just yes. keeps getting passed down through the family? Yes. Yeah, but he was such a normal, unoffensive person, very intelligent, uh, loved his wine, uh, had a family. He had to live behind bars, of course. He had bars on all the windows because, you know, execute the wrong person and family gets upset. Um, it's just, he doesn't seem like an executioner. He just seems like uh, Pobo, you know, he just seems so small and, and just cute you know here he is chopping people's heads off so <laughs> well nobody wanted to rent a house to him or anything either because they were afraid that the the house was going to get destroyed well yeah but he he did have property um he was paid very well for his job he had a wife and i believe he had children as well mm -hmm. but he had to live a very very quiet life because of what he did now, other times, you know, depending on who he was executing, executing, he was a hero, and people would scream out, long live Diebler, and, you know. But one of the things I find fascinating is the whole cult around him. Uh, people, uh, murderers and criminals, would get tattoos on themselves, dedicating themselves to Diebler. You know, they would have the words like, uh, promise to Diebler, uh, tattooed on their necks, or the picture of the guillotine uh, on them so that when Diebler would prepare them for the actual guillotine where they'd wind up, he would see tattoos of his name or uh, his profile on these criminals. That's that how... bad respect. Yes, everybody knew, knew him. So yes. they would request <laughs> to be killed by him? No, he did all the executions. Wow. But knew beforehand people in the criminal class knew that that's where they were heading you know they would eventually be caught and so they would get tattoos to Diebler on them so when was his last execution oh gosh was that 1930s I believe I, I think I think he was on his way to an execution when he passed away oh <laughs> wow. now see that's a guy you gotta respect yeah. yeah, he was at the at the waiting for the train, and he had the uh, guillotine, his portable guillotine, with him, and he passed away. He fell, and uh, and I don't remember the exact date. Let's see, 
consistency and a totally different. Yes, he was dedicated to his to his job. Nineteen thirty-nine. Wow. In retrospect, that doesn't seem like it's that long ago. No, it doesn't. No. But yes, there was a whole cult, a death cult sort of surrounding him and his family. On his way to his four oh. hundred and first beheading when he suddenly collapsed at the railway station. <clears throat> His assistants and guillotine were already on their way to the execution, but uh, he would never make it. So, wow. <laughs> so he's got 400, well, he's got 401 logged ones, but he probably, I don't know, well, they, they probably just weren't keeping track of everything that he did. <clears throat> yeah, there's, there's a half in, in the 700s, so I, I don't know specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, how could we ever find out? I mean, there's only the newspaper articles and probably some records in, in Paris and such. But, uh, the, the faraway districts, I don't know if they kept track of those. So let's move on from the guillotines <laughs> to, um, you've got a thing in here, um, the men who search for the dead of Niagara Falls. Now, yes. these guys weren't like what were referred to as ghouls. Ghouls were usually people that would go out and dig up bodies and steal things or would find dead bodies and steal things. These were people whose jobs yeah. were to go out and find bodies that fell over Niagara Falls? Uh, suicide was very common back then. It, it, it's, I think it still is up at Niagara Falls. But people would throw themselves, or it was a good, great place to dump bodies as well. So, uh, yes, they would go out. I'm on the wrong thing here. I'm on pirates. Um, we can talk about that, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But go ahead. Uh, no, uh it's anyways the people would kill themselves or you know people would murder somebody and throw them in the water hoping that it would hide the evidence of foul play and so these men would go out and search for the bodies of the dead and get paid five dollars for every stiff they found or floaters as they called them Mm. and it was quite a good business apparently i mean five dollars back in the 1800s that that's good money. That's something, you know, a person working for a full week might get a $5 salary. So to bring in one, two, or even three bodies in a day, that's really good money. And they would bring them in and, and they would take them over to the coroners who would pay them. And the coroners would get paid for holding the inquest for the body and such. So it was a, a good industry back then. They weren't known for looting the bodies or anything either. They were. They were known for being fairly honest people. You know, he wants to get caught being a ghoul because most ghouls would get shot back then. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's best to just gather the money. <laughs> You've got to hear that Youngstown is an especially good spot for fighting the floaters. Here there is an eddy that brings bodies to close to, uh, bodies in close to the shore, and often they become becalmed, uh, as it were, for days, long enough to rise to the surface and be picked up instead of drifting out into the lake. Two or three men uh, make this their regular hunting ground. So there's actually spots along the river that people would know, just go here and wait for the bodies, they'll pop up here. Um, yeah. Because there's also been a lot of stories where people that have gone over the falls, they just don't come back up. They get pressed down there and that's it, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, do, do these people still exist? Are there still people that do this around there? Or I, I'm sure to some capacity. Well, I would think that it would just be one of those issues if somebody sees a body and somebody calls the police. I don't know if it's still an occupation up there or not. Hmm. 
I'm not too good with recent history. <laughs> <laughs> Past a certain date, you lose interest. <laughs> You're not alone. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're not alone at all. Okay. That's it. You know, I, I like to read the bad news from long ago, but not the bad news from today. So it's understandable. When you're doing all this stuff, what interests you the most? Where do you, like, when you get on to go and search for information, what de- what determines where you're going to go looking that day? Or you just log in and say, well, this looks interesting, and just poke until you find something. Do you have a system for this? No. Actually, I go on to the, uh, the archives, the newspaper archives in both the U.S. and Library of Congress, and uh, on, what is that, uh, Trove, which is Australia's. And I'll just type in some keywords like dead bodies or, you know, suicides or even a place. And I'll see what comes up and I'll read through and whatever interests me, I'll, I'll follow it through and do some more research. And in fact, I spend about uh, an average about 12 hours a day doing research. And, wow. Uh, wow. Yes. My time is in research and not in writing. So are are you like yeah. a historian in real life or is, is this something you do all the time? Wow. Okay. This is full time for me. Yes. I, I write for a number of websites. Uh, I have a lot of articles up on Listverse. I did just start writing for uh, top tens. Uh, no, really? Yeah, really. I watch, I watch um, uh, YouTube channels that, that pull from Listverse and top tens and no kidding. Yeah, I've been writing for List First since I think 2015. Holy cow! Wow, I wonder if we've read any of her articles on here before. I'm sure we have. We frequently pull from List First. It's mine. What was that? I said if it's gross or weird, it's probably mine. Oh man, I wonder how many of these stories we've covered without realizing it was you. Now when we go on there, we're going to be like, hey, this is one of Elizabeth's stories. We got to read it. Wow, that's awesome. So, uh, from just as a as a like, <coughs> you said you go on Trove, which is an Australian site. Yes. What is the most interesting? Oh no! Thing you found like that something off the top of your head? What is the most interesting thing that made you stop immediately? And go, I have to follow that. Wait, within the last six or eight months. Oh, like, I don't expect you to come oh, back on. like forever. <laughs> oh, I have. You know what? You're asking me such difficult questions here. <laughs> Sorry. I just spend so much time searching. Um, let's see here. I'm going to cheat. That, by all so, means. Okay, because I'm on list first right now. I, I just did one on the hangman of North America. Let's see here. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and North America. You know, I did a really good article, but... I, Oh, North American uh, monster sightings from the early 1900s. Uh, but that did not have any Australian. I did children kept in chains, gladiators, how they died. Uh, Kings County Insane Asylum. Oh, bodies found in sacks. That was fun. Australia is really a great place for finding bodies stuffed in sacks. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> talk about it. We're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, let me get situated here. I'm sitting on an antique chair. I don't know how our ancestors sat in these chairs or so. I am as well. I'm sitting on an antique bench. 
Oh, I'm seeing, yeah, hardwood. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, they're not comfortable. I think they were more sturdy people back then. I don't know. Yeah, yeah or cushions maybe. Oh maybe. gosh, let's see here. Yeah, uh, it was uh, in Victoria, Australia, that uh, 1939 there was a body discovered in, oh gosh, I can't even pronounce half these places. But anyway, it was a body discovered and, uh, oh, they would fold up. Oh God, <laughs> fold up and chop up bodies. Yes, that's it. Now I'm remembering. A lot of chopped up bodies were in Australia. They would uh, fit them into the sacks. They would cut these people up and stick them in a sack and throw them in some muddy water. And, you know, the funny part is, is that most people didn't notice these bags in the water and people would walk, would walk by them for weeks or whatever until somebody would say what's that bag doing there and uh, <laughs> go down and open up the bag you know the sack because it was usually you know the flower sacks and whatnot back then so i mean open up and find a nice surprise inside and yeah some of them surprise inside surprise. like, like yeah. cracker jacks <laughs> yeah, well, one day is this one from 1926 in New South Wales. A uh, man noticed that the sack was floating higher than before when he passed it before. So he decided that maybe he'll go and take a look at what's inside. And uh, when he got closer to the sack, he could see an ear and part of a head sticking out from it. So that was, you know, a warning sign not to not to open it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably a good call. Then <laughs> yeah. he did it anyway. Uh, no, he called the police. Let oh, them well, you know. good <laughs> on him. Fished it out of the water, and they found the body of a bloated man. Mm, yum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus. What's your favorite thing? You know, what do you, what do you like looking for the most? I like to look at occupations with the dead. You know, hmm. like finding the floaters. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, one of my favorite things right now is a man called Rufus Cantrell. I haven't written about him yet because I'm still researching him. But he was uh, an African-American in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who ran a gang of, uh, oh gosh, I'm losing the word now, resurrectionists. Ooh. Okay, yeah. Yes, we've Snatchers. never talked about the resurrectionists, but we've always wanted to. Oh, well, they were prominent in the U.S., and you never hear about them because everybody's, you know, all busy over in Europe there talking about their resurrectionists. But, yes, he was a, a, a head of a gang of body snatchers. He was considered the king of ghouls because Ooh. he ran an entire empire out of Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, they, he his, and his men, he hired all these men to go out and watch the graveyards, rob the graves, you know, keep lookout for the police and, and then sell the bodies to medical doctors. And, and that was his trade. It was sort of, when you read about it, it sounds very similar to like the drug trade today or the black market. Uh, mm. And an entire empire on dead bodies. And if wow, you would wow. do... Uh, like a, a, a search on Rufus Cantrell, you would find images of him, and there's a really great image of him posing behind a corpse, mm. and all these doctors are in front of the corpse, you know, posing, and oh, oh, it's all so great. But <laughs> wow. uh, the, the resurrectionists were very prominent. It's uh, on the East Coast where I'm at that they, they would 
sell them down to the medical schools in Philly, where they would keep all these dead bodies in these huge vats of uh, alcohol, basically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for their students. And I hear that it was a pretty gruesome sight for the police when they raided one of the schools and found this huge vat full of bodies. And, it, you know, they weren't so upset that there were so many dead bodies. They were really more upset that there were male and female dead bodies in these vats together. Oh, it heavens. Just, yes, it just seemed <laughs> wrong. <laughs> My Genders God. up. No, they were just... But, um, yeah, there's, you know, it was a whole industry in the U.S. And, and not only that for medical students, but also for... Uh, Making the the skeletons that you would, you know, all the medical students would have the the full skeletons. And I'm losing the words right here for it. But uh, like like in your science class, you would pull out the skeleton from the closet. Yeah, the articulated skeletons. Yes. And uh, they would use live real bones back then. And you needed bodies to uh, disintegrate and to to get to the bones. And that was a, a good trade here, especially in... Philly and New York. I think New York was one of the top places to buy a full uh, skeleton. Back I'm not in shocked the- by that. What's this? I said I'm not shocked by that at all. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure they had high turnover. Yes, yes. Well, plenty of bodies, you know. Well, over in Europe, they would just go to the fields wherever, wherever a battle took place and gather up bodies and, you know, uh, remove all the flesh, the meat, and cure the bones for the, their skeletons. So... Pleasant yeah, dreams. <laughs> I gotta ask, your yes. friends and family, are they a little weirded out by you, or... No, no. Okay. Hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually very... I'm encouraged. You're encouraged no, by your friends and family? <laughs> yes. Whenever they see something that's pretty gross, they're like, I'm just going to send this to you and, you know, scary dolls and dead bodies and, you know, old murder cases and and such like that. Everybody, they send it to me and and we talk about it. You know, I, on the friends front, I I suck at being a friend. My friends, (laughs) (laughs) they they get weirded out. Okay. And I'll tell you when I was out, I was out in Colorado just the other year and I was staying at this hotel and this freaking elevator was so rickety and, and you know those elevators that like make noises as it goes up or down and it jiggles and whatnot it scared the crap out of me so I was like I wonder how many people have died in elevators so while I was staying at this hotel I went and researched it and I found quite a few people in the early 1900s died you know cables you know breaking and people falling down shafts and getting crushed underneath elevators. And so I started talking about this in the elevator and oh my gosh. That's awesome. I mean, I rode the elevator alone after that. Um, <laughs> That's perfect. That's the best way to ride an elevator. Yes, it is. <laughs> Screaming to my death alone, please. No, um, yeah, I, I don't do do too well on the on the friends front. They, yeah. I remember. Like, a, yeah. There was a few years ago. We, oh God, it was actually it was probably maybe ten years ago. Now it was before we started doing the show, 
It was one of the things actually that made me want to do this show. There was this article, a news story and a video. There was a gentleman that it was in a automatic wheelchair and the wheelchair malfunctioned. And then it kept oh, wow. slamming into the elevator door and then the elevator door opened and out he, into the elevator shaft he went and he fell down the elevator shaft and died. And it was such a bizarre article. It was like, they don't know why the wheelchair malfunctioned, nor do they know why the elevator door opened just from him running into it and smashing into it over and over again. And um, I went back to try to find the news article a couple of years later, and I couldn't find it anywhere. I still can't find it by doing any kind of searches. Uh, and they actually had the video for it. They showed the video of this guy's wheelchair going out of control and smashing into the elevator doors and opening up and him going down the elevator shaft. And I was like, wow, how do you, how did, how did the news A show that and B, how does something like that happen? And then it turns yeah. out that there's all kinds of incidences of these things happening where elevator doors just suddenly opening up and people falling down the shaft and dying. Ghosts. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, uh, how does, how does something like that go about happening? But, um, this is also one of the reasons why I have a really hard time going up into tall buildings and seeing different things that are like that. The CN Tower, like in Toronto, scares the crap out yeah. of me. I can't do it. Oh, yes. Yeah, elevators creep me out. So you, um, moving on a little bit, you've got an article in here about the Blue Man of Spring Hill, which is basically, a, I thought it was going to be a giant Blue Man story, but it's actually a, more of a Wild Man or a Sasquatch story. Yeah, a Bigfoot story, yep. Yeah. It, there were a lot of them, you know. I don't know how often you guys do. You guys search the archives, the newspaper archives. I do. We don't really cover. I mean, there was a point where I wanted to cover different articles on the show every week from the from the art newspaper archives because there is some cool stuff out there. But it, oh, yeah. it, the problem is, is when you find some of these old newspaper archives, you can't really read them because the ink is all yeah. blurry and smudged, and it's really hard to get a good story out of it where you can actually read what the heck the story is saying. And there's some really strange, fascinating stuff out there, but is it yellow journalism, whatever? Actually, I don't really care. I just like reading the articles for what they are. So, yeah, the Blue Man, he was uh, more of a, a Bigfoot that they had spotted. I guess it was uh, 1865. Yeah, Blue Soul, uh, Hunter and Trapper, spotted it. As From that point, it, it just went out of control. I mean, people started seeing this, I don't know what to call it, a being or whatever it was but uh the description was pretty good you know it says that he had thick black hair like an animal and it carried a large club which almost makes you think it might be human but on the other hand you know the, the footprints the description of the footprints are elongated and broader than those of a small bear that doesn't sound human and uh so i found that article fascinating because it when you go to the archives, you'll find a lot of uh, people that just went wild and then they were called wild men. And, uh, you know, usually they had some bit of clothing on them that they would comment on and, and they would eventually get captured. But uh, the blue man of Spring Creek was never captured. And uh, <laughs> Are you familiar with who Tem Timothy Renner is by chance? Have you ever heard of him? Oh, that sounds familiar. You have to refresh me. <laughs> He wrote a book about how um, before, before the term Bigfoot became prevalent, all of these creature sightings that were like this were known as wild men or wild women or supposedly people that escaped from insane asylums and things like that. And uh, the, the sightings are very similar to along the lines of Bigfoot sightings. But what's sad about this one is you don't normally hear about Bigfoot running around with a club. 
you know, you get this yes. image of a giant caveman in a loincloth running around. You had mentioned um, when we were emailing back and forth, I'd said, well, is there anything that you'd particularly want to talk about? And you brought up early UFO sightings, like really early ones from way back in the day. Did you still want to cover yeah. that? Sure. I uh, I guess two years ago, I'd written an article on uh, List First on uh, old reports of strange lights in the sky. <clears throat> My throat's starting to go here. Uh, yes, and I found some from the 1800s. Light, strange lights going across the sky, a flying ship ho hovering over San Jose. Uh, there were just there were just so many incidents, and it doesn't make sense to me how there were these incidents in the 1800s. Um, you know, before we had airplanes going everywhere and jets and everything else. And uh, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I just I, I find the whole UFO phenomenal interesting, but I'm very cautious about it, you know, especially with recent sightings and whatnot. But the, the 1800s ones, there was an innocence to the sightings, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There was nobody with a camera or trying to get publicity. It was just something weird is up in the sky. Uh, and they had no explanation for it. And at the time, they would use the swamp gas explanation, or they would say minerals from the mines were making a, a gas that was zooming around in the sky and, and things like that. But, uh, yes, uh, I don't know if you ever covered the one, uh, Washington, D.C., in 1897. I don't recall. Yeah, there was a strange lights reported throughout numerous newspapers and uh, they were seeing lights that they just could not explain at the time. Uh, they started seeing a strange light in the sky at a point near the horizon east by northeast and it said that it was engaged in a wild and hilarious dance. Nobody knew what this was, of course. Uh, they did try to dismiss it as a reflection of the moonbeams, but that doesn't make sense either. Not to me. Mm -hmm. Reflection of moonbeams. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, they came up with a lot of different excuses for these sightings, or they would just say that, you know, whoever saw this was probably drinking a little bit too much. You know, we don't Why know. Is what that our... always the excuse? Why is that always the excuse? I, no, I, don't, I don't drink. I haven't had anything to drink in almost, in June, it'll be 24 years. Wow. I've seen a lot of weird things without the benefit of any mind or mood altering chemicals. So I don't see anything when I have a beer. So I, I don't well, know. <laughs> wrong beer. That's it. You're you, you're drinking the wrong beer. That must be it. <laughs> have you had any strange experiences of your own? I, I've had quite a few. Yes. Um, uh, speaking of uh, strange sightings from long ago, my father had seen the Black Panther uh, back in the 19, I guess it would be early 1970s, it was, I think before I was born. He saw the, the large black cat that was being spotted around uh, York, Pennsylvania. Really? Yes, he saw it in a ditch and it was, it had something in the ditch with him. Uh, he, <clears throat> and I'm starting to lose my throat. I've just got over the flu and I can barely speak anymore. Well, we'll let you go in a couple yeah. of minutes. <laughs> okay. We'll call it early for you. 
Uh, yeah, he was driving to work early one morning down the mountain where my mom and dad lived, and uh, he saw a large black cat in the ditch eating what they, he thinks was a sheep or something like that. Uh, during that time, the early 1970s, there were a lot of UFO and wild cat sightings in the area. Mm-hmm. So uh, nothing came of it. You know, he never reported it or, or anything, but it's a family story. Uh, I did a couple of, about 20 years ago. I had problems with uh, the the black shadow. I, I don't know what they're called, shadow people or something. You saw a shadow person? <clears throat> oh, my God. It haunted me for like two, three years. It drove wow. me insane. Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily believe this stuff, but it happens. <laughs> Just yeah, like, it happens. Okay. Yeah. I had one that was uh, visiting the apartment that I lived in. It just showed up. I have no idea why. And it would not leave. Um, I would wake up and it'd be standing over my bed. Mm-hmm. And I became mm-hmm. very, very upset. And my husband was upset because he, you know, I was upset. So we decided to move and we moved, oh gosh, maybe about five miles away, <laughs> you know, not that far, but no sooner did we move that it, it was back again. And I kept seeing this black shape, this black person standing over me when I would wake up or I would hear strange noises. And I kept saying, now he's my now, now my ex-husband, but he, he can, he would tell you, be able to tell you about this. I kept telling him, yeah, there's this person that's coming and I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm going absolutely insane. So he said the one night, he said, I'm going to stay up all night and you get some sleep. So... <clears throat> my husband, bless his heart, ex-husband, uh, he stayed up all night. And the next morning I found him and he was scared out of his wits because the thing that was visiting turned and and, and walked towards my ex-husband. And my ex-husband quickly got up and went into a back room and shut the door. And he heard something pushing against the door. And after this confrontation with my ex-husband, it, it left. It didn't come back. So wow. I, I don't know if, I don't know. I would like to say I was having a mental breakdown, but my ex-husband saw it too. So, yeah. Yeah, those don't usually go with in, hand in hand with another person. <laughs> no, it was, my ex-husband told me that it was very angry with him. <laughs> he did not like, wow. it, the being did not like the interference between myself and and it and it, it scared me you know my cats would see it and my cats would get really really upset over this um i was really upset i thought you know surely I, <clears throat> surely i'm losing my mind here so i i don't know there there's more out there that that we fully understand and i don't think we're ever going to really fully understand it um i don't know I don't have answers. I'm, I'm looking for answers. And, and I think that's what drives me to, you know, study what I do. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're all looking for answers. So you're in, you're in the right boat. I like, yeah. I'd like to believe you're in the right boat. Yeah. I, I yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think, I think there may be other beings out there. I think that there are different levels to reality. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes things bleed through. That's what I, I say something like that a lot myself. Um, 
there's the debate of is this UFOs? Is this ghosts? Is this is this whatever? And uh, you know, Lobo does too. We often just say yes. You know, um, <laughs> don't have an answer. Yeah, it's I've always referred to it as it's the blind. It's when you take a bunch of different blind men and lead them up to an elephant, and one person touches a leg, and one person touches a tail. Yes. And one person touches this and they go, well, it's a tree or it's this or it's that. Um, yeah. When it's all like a big mesmia kind of stew. And the problem that I've said again with the paranormal world is you have people that are fighting over Bigfoot, people that are fighting over UFOs. You've got people that are into ghosts. And then you've got the weirdos like us who are into all of it. Um, yes. It's like you get you get a bunch of these different people from paranormal and sit them all down, and they all lick each other. Like each person's crazy. Well, I believe in UFOs, but I think Bigfoot's you know whatever. Well, I believe in ghosts, but you UFO guys and you Bigfoot guys are kind of nuts, you know. And then you get the. It's kind of like you know, it's the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. So I believe in keeping an open mind for all of it, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Likewise, I think ninety-five percent of it's bullshit as well. But you know, it's the five percent that keeps bringing me back. It's that little smidgen of, well, what is this? Because when you do see something, you might say, you know what, I don't believe in any of this stuff. But when you do have an experience, it tends to you either develop cognitive dissonance, dissonance, or you know, it leads you down a different path. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the end of the show. This is where usually we give our guests a chance to promote whatever they're doing out there or what have you. Um, go ahead and promote if you're, promote your blog if you want to. If uh, if you have any books or anything out there, go right ahead. No, I, I don't have anything I want to really promote. I, I do most of what I do, and especially with Strange Go, I, I do for myself, to be honest. I, I, I just use it as a place for, my, for me to stick weird ideas. So I don't. I don't do promo. <laughs> What's your blog address? It is strangeago.com. Well, thanks for coming on here, Elizabeth. We appreciate it. It's been fun talking to you about weird and strangeness. We are going to cut it a little short because your voice is going out. And plus, there's a variety of strange internet things that are happening right now. <laughs> uh, that's okay. But it's been a lot of fun talking Thank to you. Thank you so much. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. If you like motorcycles and you like comedy, perhaps you should try the Wheel Nerds podcast. Stop that. What, what are you doing? I'm doing my announcer voice. It's proven super effective. It's stupid. Nope. We're the Wheel Nerds. Shut up. We're the Wheel Nerds. We're a weekly-ish comedy motorcycle podcast where we talk about everything two wheels and a bunch of stuff that isn't. Give us a listen at wheelnerds.com, iTunes, or Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Ha, ha, ha! I'm to stop doing this now, my throat hurts. So, that was Elizabeth Yetter, which we made it through the entire interview until the very end, where A, her voice literally was dying on her, and then mm-hmm. the internet died, and she was like, I can't hear you. You're, you're breaking up. <laughs> so it's like, at least really? it lasted till the end. We're at the last five minutes of the show and this is going to happen. And then we completely lost her and blah. Ed- editing. I assure you folks, editing was a nightmare at this point. So anyways, 
yeah, uh, go find her blog. It really is interesting. It's it's become one of my favorites. I, I have this list of blogs that I go and visit every week just looking for really weird stuff. And pretty much everybody that I go to, we've had on here. I discovered her a couple of months ago. Her blog is strangeago, all one word, dot com. We really just scratched the surface of the macabre and the weird stuff that she actually goes into and covers here. I get the vibe that she's not used to doing interviews and she hasn't done a podcast before. So, you know, I was like, well, if you come on, because she's one of those people, I'm not sure, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, it's cool. Doing a show with us is fine. It's real easy, blah, blah, blah. And then the internet craps out, thus causing problems. Yeah. Well, oh, you know, thank internet you, Skype. Is, I don't, well, yeah, whatever. Internet is a fickle bitch. So, yep. moving on, um, I, uh, there's been a discussion on our Facebook page about the new orange vanilla Coca-Cola. And mm -hmm. if there's one thing that we're all about, besides everything that we've talked about tonight, is the beverage. And we tried the uh, we tried the strawberry guava and blueberry Trash. acaya 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 what are the hell yeah acaya um, the blueberry wasn't bad after was I had terrible. a couple you didn't like the blueberry I thought the no, strawberry was, was okay of no. the two I would drink the the other one but you went out and found the vanilla orange Coca Cola well I didn't find it my friend works for Coke mm -hmm. and she texted me to tell me that it was coming out. And then told me when she got it. And then we got it, and I drank it before I knew we were supposed to save it. So well, you fine. got one. Yeah. And you couldn't find the Coke Zero orange vanilla. So you got the regular orange vanilla, and I have the Coke Zero orange vanilla now. Which I'm sure probably you didn't like this one at all. You didn't. No. It's okay. trash. My wife loves it. Well, I'll try. Well, your wife also you, your wife also recommended the ginger ale with lemonade, oh, Canada Dry. Oh my God, I I haven't even made it through a half a two liter of this stuff yet. It's been sitting in my fridge for weeks. I feel like I'm drinking lemony pine saw when I drink that stuff. Lemony pine oh saw. Oh my God, that's probably an accurate description of it. it but I enjoy the flavor. Horrible. The Canada Dry ginger ale lemonade is horrid. The orange isn't so bad, but this lemonade, I don't know. I mean, I want to go clean toilets with it. I prefer the cranberry. The cranberry is, is pretty cool. The cranberry is really good. So I'm going to take a sip of the uh, Coca-Cola orange vanilla and then wonder why I'm fat. So uh, you go and ahead I'm and crack open, open your can after. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, it tastes like somebody mixed a creamsicle with a can of Coca-Cola. Yep. It's tastes not, terrible. I can see why you don't like it. I don't think it's that bad, but again, it's probably not something that I'll be drinking all the time. I think it's better than the strawberry guava, but then again, oh. this doesn't have that. I, I can't stand Diet Coke. I'll drink Coke Zero and Cherry Coke Zero, but Diet Coke is horrid to me. Now, I don't... Di Coke Zero is made with aspartame. Aspartame does strange things to me. So, oh, let's try this Oh, you're one of conspiracy theorists that's out there talking about aspartame that's going to give you cancer and die. Hold on. No, I don't I don't care if I die or not. I don't give a shit. But let's see what this stuff's like. Probably just as bad. Hold on. Diabetes. Nah, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> it's fucking terrible. And it, and it has that nasty aspartame after... No, fuck this shit. <laughs> don't mess no, words. How do you really feel? I just ruined a complete can of my wife, for my wife. I, I ran upstairs to go and get it, told her I needed to borrow a can, and I just fucking wasted it. It's terrible. Oh, man. Oh, it's terrible. I might like the Zero version. I, I don't know. I mean, it's this isn't bad. You like Coke Zero. 
I do like Coke Zero, but the like I the don't. only one of these new flavors that I've actually liked at all is the fiery cherry, which just tastes like a spicier cherry Coke. You know, for the most part, it tastes like diet cherry oh. Coke. You know what this tastes like? And I told Alicia this, and she told she looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. But it tastes like someone melted down Flintstone vitamins and put it in a can. Yeah, I don't get that. Ugh. It would probably be really good without the Coke flavor. Like if oh, they just made no. an orange you know vanilla pop. Like? You know what it tastes like? Remember the baby aspirin? You're right, it does. It kind of does. That's yeah. what it tastes like. The chewable orange baby aspirin. That's kind of what That's it tastes like. That's what it tastes like. And thus no you have completely ruined it for me now. Ha ha. Lawnmower man's in your head now, Job. You know... I used to really, I, when we go eat Mexican food, I had a friend that went with us once, and she won't eat cilantro. And I was oh. like, why? Cilantro's good on Mexican food. And then she goes, no, it tastes like soap. And as soon as she said that, for the longest time, I could not eat anything with cilantro in it because it tasted like soap. So the suggestion... There's a marker that, that uh, makes that a thing. What do you mean? There, genetically, there is a marker that either it tastes like soap or it tastes like what it's supposed to taste like, deliciousness. Really? Yep. Wow. Yep. Well, I've since I've gone won. back and started eating cilantro on my Mexican food and my tacos and stuff again, like fresh cilantro. But oh, for I a long time, it was like, this is soap. You're a soaper? Oh, my God. I love cilantro. Okay. Like, when I go to, like, Pancheros or Moe's, uh, they ask you what else you want on there. And I say, I'd like some cilantro. And they put this piddling little amount on there. I'm like, no more. No, please put more on there. And the people usually look at me like I'm crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. grew up eating it. I mean, when I was a kid, my grandmother had one in her kitchen, and it was called Celentrillo. So Yes, wow us with your knowledge of Spanish language. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks. That's what I heard. That's what I grew up with. I'm going to go over and build a wall around your house now. But um, Good. I'm not what was, um I know. I know. I wish I was sometimes. They have awesome food. <laughs> oh, the, we've got, this is what's funny in my part of town. We now have the Battle of Taco Tuesdays. There is, there was one, yeah, there's a, it's called the Battle of Taco Tuesdays around here. There was a small, I've talked about it on the show before. It's been a while, but there was this little place that opened up inside of an old, like it was an old drive, like drive-in, like an A&W kind of place. This place sat vacant for years. Okay. So this company come along and bought it out and they opened up and they called it Taco Stand. And then they started doing 99 cent Taco Tuesdays. So it was like $1 tacos or something like that. And they've got, all this place does is they've got five different kinds of tacos. They've got the chorizo, the chorizo steak, the steak. Steak, uh, they got like a pork one and they got a chicken one. They don't and have tongue? What's that? They don't have tongue. No. Oh. No. And it's they have these one dollar tacos on Tuesday. Then they also have um um oh gosh, uh carne asada fries, which has uh oh. steak and cheese and stuff on the fries, and then they also have a California burrito, which is a burrito with fries and avocado in it. And that's all they sell. Their menu's very small. And in the summertime, like you could order your food and you're still gonna be waiting a half hour just to get up to the window to get your food. So across the street, another taco place opened up called <laughs> Little Jalapenos. And from what nice. I understand, it's the same family that's feuding with one another, oh, but their no. restaurant is more of a sit-down restaurant, but 
they also have Taco Tuesdays and they also have a variety of tacos. They're just as good, but they're different. Following that, oh. another Mexican restaurant opened up down the road from where I work, and they were a regular one, so they jumped into the Taco Tuesday competition battle. They also offer 99 cent or $1 Taco Tuesdays. Their tacos are far inferior. Further oh. up the road, yet another like drive-through taco place opened up by a non-Latino family, which is, in my opinion, wrong. It's like trying to do Doctor Who with an American actor. It, you shouldn't do it. If you're not Latino or of Hispanic persuasion, you should not be making tacos. Um, wow. So it's just you know it's just how it is. So right there, I mean, if if you're Latino or Hispanic and you make tacos right there, your street cred goes up a little bit. But anyhow, so now all of these taco places, you can't open up a taco or, or a Mexican restaurant in any way, shape, or form around here unless you have Taco Tuesdays, and they all have to be a dollar. So within about a mile radius of where I work, there are four or five Mexican restaurants that have Taco Tuesday. Yeah. So it's a good problem to have. It is a good problem to have. So now when I go in, I'm usually off on Tuesdays, but the cool thing about my new job, if I want to work, I just show up and say, Hey, I'm here to work. And they go, okay, go punch in. And my boss is like, nice. so, uh, Ro, it's, uh, tacos. It's taco Tuesday. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, um, so, uh, what are you doing for lunch today? What was that? What are you doing for lunch today? I'm going to go get tacos. I'm going to go get tacos. Oh, okay. So it went from uh, me and my boy, Eric Biggs, so who works like something. your idea. Yeah. So now it's like, <laughs> I'm going to get tacos and everybody's like, give me three, get me. It's kind of like going to Subway where it's like, okay, well, you're going to get me this and you're going to get The cool thing is I don't have to like, unlike Subway, telling people you're going to Subway is the worst. It's like, I'm going to Subway. Does anybody want anything? And then everybody gives you like the laundry list of what the fuck sub they want and what's on the sub. So you never Subway's tell anybody. Subway's trash. But you never tell anybody you're going to Subway because no. you're reading off the order to everybody. You got like six different sub orders. Each one of them is different. Taco Tuesday, it's like, listen, I'm going to get tacos. What kind of tacos do you want? You want steak tacos, chicken tacos, blah, 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 blah. So then I, I call them up and I'll be like, I'll take 37 tacos. I need four of those to be, uh, four of those to be steak, 10 of them to be this. And you're like leading it off. And the woman on the other end of the phone thinks I'm a pothead or something. Because <laughs> I'll pull up. It's a, but the cool thing is like, okay, that'll be 40 bucks. And boom, everybody throws down their dollars. And I walk in there looking like I'm a stripper. Um, and it works. Oh, that's terrifying. But, yeah, so uh, that's the problem that we now have around here in this area is the Battle of Taco Tuesdays. Good so when I come in, have. yeah, it's a good problem. I dig it. You know, it's not a big deal. Um, and I got a friend out there that I'm always talking to for whatever reason on Tuesdays, and she's she's a good friend of mine. And she'll be like, okay, well, you know, eat a taco for me. And I'm like, well, that can go a couple of different ways. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, that's that's the ranting ravings of Taco Tuesday. Uh, so anyhow, um, I am going to be out of town next week, so there will be a best of. More than likely, I'm probably going to rerun the episode of the Holland, Michigan UFO sightings where I ran the actual audio with the show. Um, nice. What was that? Nice. Yeah, that's, that was one of my favorites. Well, this year apparently I think is the 20-year anniversary of it, Has I it believe. 20 years already? Something like that. It just went up. Um, let me see if I can find the article. And while I'm looking for that, actually, you had posted something about the hunting of wolves is now oh. it's now legal again, or they're off their endangered species? to make or? it legal again, yes. Uh, no, because this administration is doing wonders for the environment. Why would you want to make... I, that I know of, wolves aren't a, a problem right now, are they? That I know of. I know coyotes never are a huge were. big deal. They never were a big problem. It, 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 we kill things we don't understand. That's always the way it's been. We're just yeah. we're horrible. 
I mean, I, I just don't understand. I, I I haven't heard of problems with wolves, and now it's like we're going to take wolves off the endangered species list. No, I don't know. I mean, we kind of laughed about it when them. off when off it was like, well, I'm glad that manatees are off the endangered species list because now I can try eating a manatee. And we were like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny, blah, blah, blah. And then it's yeah, like. But off it didn't mean it. It was a joke. These people yeah. are literally wanting to kill them. Yeah, I don't I don't get that. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. Um this is from uh, MLive.com, and this is, uh, here are the 911 calls described in Michigan's mass UFO sighting 25 years ago. 25. That was the one out in Holland, Michigan. Um, and there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of weird, there was a weird UFO flap going on, because there was also that incident that had happened, I think, a year earlier, a few months earlier, down in Indiana and Ohio, where all those different people from those different towns were all calling into the police department saying, hey, there's a thing flying down the street here, you know? And then a little bit later, the whole Howland UFO thing happened. Uh, 25 years ago tonight, eyes all across West Michigan were drawn to strange lights in the sky and a 911 dispatch center lights, lit, up, blah, lit up, there's my dyslexia kicking in, folks, mm. lit up uh, with reports of UFOs, which started as a handful of people describing cylindrical lights moving overhead, quickly snowballed in reports rolling in from Ludington, which is and it's on the west side for anybody who doesn't know what what my state is like take your right hand flip <laughs> it around and look at it um and that's michigan michigan is basically like a hand most of these sites happened on the far left side of your hand um i have my finger pointing on it right now even though i know nobody out there in podcast land can see me in their earbuds right now that's great so and pretty much a big chunk of the west side of Michigan had this bizarre UFO thing that was going on where finally the guy, the UFO dispatcher, calls the National Weather Center and says, what's going on here? And the National Weather guy is like, wait a minute. Yeah, there is something on the monitors here. I don't know what this is. It's kind of big and Morpheus and it's moving around and it's coming in and out. And it was really, really weird because the guy at the Weather Center is like, I don't know what this is. I've never seen anything like this. And the cops at the beginning of it were all like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, there's Christmas trees flying through the sky. Anyways, at least one report came in from law enforcement. A Holland police officer who spied the lights through binoculars handed, uh, handed to him by a witness, according to the Associated Press. When the authorities called the national, local National Weather Service office to get a handle on what was being reported, a, a meteorologist's initial bafflement turned into amazement when he took a closer look at the radar. That's the show that I'm going to play where I actually have these tapes and I edited them all together in a time-lapse form describing what's happening and you can hear this guy losing his shit on the tape mm. like he doesn't know what the hell it is so i'm going to run that one next week because i'm going to be down in uh florida most of this week for a bike <laughs> week down in daytona um total last minute trip my buddy's like hey let's go to daytona it's a 16 hour drive let's hop in the car and go so we're going to be leaving here at around 10 o'clock at night and driving from michigan straight town to daytona 16 hours 16 and a half hour drive provided we don't stop and eat or anything like that so that's probably not going to happen <laughs> yeah right we're going to be doing a lot of coke but um doing anyway. a lot of coke. <laughs> there's a throwback there you go yeah. aaron <clears throat> but um so yeah that's it and uh after that we'll be back back on schedule again i think i kind of want to do a ramble cast next time and just hold off on the interview interviews for at least another week maybe maybe okay. two because we've been going solid with interviews for a while now and it's been a little while since we've let our hair down and just covered strange and funny news are you cool with that idea yeah all right um and then plus your schedule is about to get wacky isn't it you're you've got stuff going yep. on in the next month all right so uh, you might not even be on the next a, show i have a competition not this weekend but next weekend but i town. think it's That's only on sunday well, I, we won't be back with another show till the 23rd. That's the weekend it is. 
So okay, so I'll sure have to dig up a co-host. I don't think so because I'm pretty sure it's the the competition is on Sunday. I don't think it's on Saturday. Okay, and it's just, it's in it's in state, and I think my wife is bringing my oldest because it's just my oldest this this time. Okay, so, so we maybe we'll be fine. We'll probably do some kind of a ramble cast when we get back, uh, getting back to things up and running again. If you can't make it, you can't make it, but you've given notice, so hey, what the hell. Um, yes. And then after that, I don't know what the hell's going on with the show for a little bit. We'll see. I've got Patrick from Almost Educational chomping at the bit for me to get on there and discuss the alchemy of brewing. Cool. Uh, I'm like, I'm going to be gone this week. So anyways. All right, we're done. Let's call it good. And uh, we will see everybody again in a couple of weeks, and I will rerun the Holland UFO show next week. So uh, take care. This is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. Detroit. This is Lobo Daytona, from Connecticut. Daytona, here I come. Daytona, here I come. This is Lobo from Connecticut. Florida is the devil state. It's also a tremendous state to go and watch birds. Peace. I'm out. It's tremendously big and tremendously wet. Tremendous amounts of water. Yeah.